Hello, I'm Mark Weaver, president of Mark Weaver & Associates Interior Design. I'd like to invite you to our Instagram Live series called Designers at Home. It's every other Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. It's a casual, informative, and exclusive discussion with renowned architects, interior designers, and artists from around the world. This half-hour podcast program is a recording of the live talk addressing all things design and architecture related, along with personal anecdotes and inspiration. Guests have included Emmy-nominated set decorator Peter Gursky, one of America's leading sculptors, Sabin Howard, renowned architect and artist Leo Marmel, and art advisor extraordinaire Barbara Guggenheim. We look forward to you joining us. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Designers at Home. Um, this morning, we're going to be uh, speaking with Jill Cole. She's going to be joining us shortly. And uh, Jill, just to familiarize you a little bit with Jill, she's the managing principal and president of MCMA, uh, CMCA, excuse me, which is Cole Martinez Curtis and Associates. And they have offices located in Los Angeles, the Napa Valley, um, San Francisco and London. And uh, we're going to talk to her a little bit about her work. Um, and she's, she's devoted her work primarily to um, hotel, resort, and recreational design. And let's see uh, if she's here. Here she is. Go live. There's always something new with Instagram. I have to, every week it seems to change a little bit. And good morning, Jill. Good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? Wonderful. And you're joining us from your home in Napa Valley today, right? Correct. That's correct. And it's a beautiful sunny day. I'm sorry, I, I tried to find a place where I had cell service and could actually have the view in the background but unfortunately not so easy <laughs> yeah i know it's always i love um i've done a couple of these programs in the garden but boy the the cell surface is sketchy and it just doesn't seem to work well right exactly anyway i was just telling them a little bit about um you and your firm which you started how long ago did you start um cole martinez and curtis well, the company was started in 1967, and I actually, I think I uh, mentioned to you, we're talking about this a little bit, the, the hospitality group began uh, in 1979 with the opening of the Adolphus Hotel in Dallas, which was our first foray into hotel design. And um, can you give us a little bit of background of, of where you grew up and um, what was your introduction into interior design? Well, um, I grew up in Los Angeles primarily, although I spent uh, a few years with my shared time between New York and Los Angeles, sort of like Elsa, uh, uh, um, you know, living at the Plaza Hotel, but it wasn't the Plaza Hotel. And mm -hmm. When I started, when I was getting ready to go to college, I had a, uh, I had an issue with my father, who was sort of my mentor, amongst other things, besides being my parent. And he, he, I wanted to be a uh, fine artist or an archaeologist. And my father 
admonished me that chances were I would not be able to make a living at either. And I was likely <laughs> going heiress. And so I sure as heck better figure out a way to make a living. Um, at the time, the two kind of chosen career paths for women, those of you who are on this that maybe are more my, my age, um, you could either choose to be a school teacher or a secretary. Those were kind of the two major choices. Um, and I was lousy at shorthand and um, teaching children didn't really appeal to me either. So I started UCLA and um, my father encouraged me to have a job while I was going to UCLA to learn something. And I was um, given a position at Gopher to go for coffee and run Blueprint, a company that designed restaurants and fell in love with the business at that time and quit college, which really ticked my father off. <laughs> and time, I think I mentioned to you, Mark, yesterday when we were talking about this a little bit, I actually found out later that my father was paying my salary. And when I went to work there full time, he was furious because, of course, he was paying my salary. Oh, my God. So I didn't find that out until many years later after he passed away. But it was pretty interesting. But he he really kind of sent me in the direction of the interior design business. I never studied it formally. I'm embarrassed to tell you all. Um, I did, I did learn it, you know, in the field. Other than oh. draft, I did take in high school. Um, well, you know, I think everybody, uh, you know, you'll start somewhere in the field. I started um, by driving the delivery van and doing blueprints and doing the drafting. And it was actually a wonderful experience. And I look back on it now with great fondness. Right. So, right. You know, you mentioned, Jill, um, that you were a student at UCLA. And I understand you also taught there under yeah. Judy Greenwald. Yes. Yes, Tell I did. Tell me a little bit about that, because yeah. I also speak at UCLA, and I feel very strongly about mentoring. So can you... Um, Talk about that a little bit. I, I began um, teaching at UCLA, um, as I said, when Jody Greenwald was in charge of the department. And mm -hmm. at the time, the interior design department at UCLA was actually considered an extension department. It wasn't a full on, full bore department. And mm -hmm. uh, they had, they the the classes were actually not even on campus they were in venice um in this kind of nifty old building and i was always very intrigued with um learning about design if i'm willing to be an instructor i said absolutely and um i taught for i think it was about two or three years unfortunately I was, you know, I was maintaining a full-time position at the time, and I also started a showroom. So um, finally, I was just overwhelmed. I had too many things to do, and I had to, I had to gracefully bow out. But the couple of years that I spent there, I really enjoyed it very much. And I thought um, one of the things that I, I believe I, I, I told the students that I really still to this day believe 
is, you know, learning the technical aspects of it are very important. And learning how to kind of foresee what something's going to look like when it's built and or furnished mm-hmm. is, is something that you can only learn by doing. You can't learn mm-hmm. looking at a drawing. It's, it takes years. I mean, Mark, I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. I don't know yeah. if you're... Yeah. It, well, there's nothing like experience. And um, when I'm talking to the students, I always tell them getting a job in the field at whatever level it is doesn't matter. It's just the experience and the knowledge that you accumulate is going to, um, you know, help you grow. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So, and it's very rewarding to teach the students. They're so, they're so anxious to learn and they're so inquisitive and they, and they want to know. So right. it's a pleasure to do that. So, Joe, I, your work is almost exclusively um, hospitality, but you have done residential work. Yes. Um, and yeah. obviously you enjoy the contract work more yes i do um i think the reason is it's kind of an interesting thing to be designing for many people versus a single person or a couple or a family i okay. kind of the challenge of that trying to appeal to a broad market um without dumbing the design down i don't mean to insult you know airports or things like that. They're designed for many people to use or train stations, mm-hmm. have you. But there's something very interesting about the psychology of designing a hotel or a resort. Usually the client who's typically the owner or developer has an idea of, of who their target market is. Yes. And understanding that target market, learning about that target market, and trying to hit a sweet spot with them is a really interesting thing. And I very often will admonish clients of mine who have their own individual prejudices. It's very hard to separate your own personal taste from from designing for a a group. so I kind of try to say to them, hey, forget the fact that you hate blue and you love red or whatever, and think about the broader appeal. And that's that's kind of tough. Yeah, well, um, so one project of yours that um, stands out to me, I just read an article, um, there's a lovely article on a project you did in Woodside, California, and it's the right. new Canyon Ranch located there. Yes. And it's it's absolutely beautiful so can we talk a little bit about this project and how this came about and your thoughts on the whole design process sure well for starters um the project sort of came in the back door of our office through mutual acquaintances you know when you've been in the business for a long time a lot of the work you get is through referrals this was a absolutely Uh uh-huh so I, I knew several of the people that were involved in the project and the, the Canyon Ranch Company was purchased uh, a few years ago by a large investment group, real estate investment group in um, Texas. And this was their first brand new development. Um, and their concept was to do what they called the Canyon Ranch Retreat, which isn't 
a giant project like their one, the famous one that probably everybody knows about or most people do in Tucson, which was the original Canyon right. Ranch. Um, this was a smaller project and it was intended to appeal to Silicon Valley, which is right kind of at the bottom of the hill from Woodside. And we're looking to, to market this property to um, hot, very high-end uh, users, you know, Silicon Valley zillionaires, they called them, and or small corporate retreats. Um, it's only, uh, I think it's, I'm trying to remember how many rooms it is. I want to say it's 38. I may be off by a one or two. So it's a small property. Um, uh -huh. Most of the rooms, if you want to call them that, are in these tree houses, which are built up on stilts in the woods. So if you're in your room, you're literally living in the trees. It's spectacular. It's very spectacular. And you walk across a little bridge to get to your front door. So when I saw the property, they had bought this existing retreat. Um, I, I said to the owners, we've got to make this even more, you know, like indoor outdoor than it even is right now. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I suggested to them, which in hotel world is a big no, no, you probably know because I'm sure you and all of the, all the other people that are on this call um, have stayed in hotels. Like one of our cardinal rules is you have to be able to black the room out because people like to sleep in. Right. Rooms. In the dark. Sure rooms i suggested to the client and they bravely agreed i said i don't think we should have any window coverings in these rooms i think it should be we're in the trees the the activities and the things you do during the day you're going to go to bed usually as, as the sun sets or shortly thereafter because i you know when you go to this place you get up really early and you go hiking and you do all these different outdoor activities I said, let's let people really experience living in the forest. And they actually said, okay, because we didn't have any privacy issues at all. It was really just a, it was just an experiential thing. And it's, I, to me, it's just wonderful. You know, it really makes those rooms very much part of the nature. Well, it's great when you get a client that um, is receptive to your ideas like that. And well, I mean, the whole point, the whole point of being there is to immerse yourself in nature. Right. And, um, you know, it was very brave of them. It was risky. The good news is it was, it was only, it was a small property. I mean, I would never suggest that for a 400 room urban hotel, obviously, because there's issues with privacy. But for this particular project where the rooms literally, you can't see into anybody's room from anywhere on the property because it's very hilly and these tree houses all face in different directions. So it really made it, um, it made it very naturesome, if that's the right word. Um, right. And we tried to do that in the public areas as well. The, the main building, which, which has the spa, has the gym, has the um, multi-purpose room, which is kind of like the living room of the hotel where they have all their various events. And then they mm -hmm. have a, a restaurant on another level that also has cooking classes. And then they have a bar, believe it or not. This, I think this may be one of the first Canyon ranches with really a bar bar. Uh -huh. um, 
And then it's got like an outdoor dining area with a pizza oven and some other things. They give cooking classes, but each space is very much connected to the outdoors. And what type of amenities um, did you find or did you um, specify for the rooms for, you know, I know everybody when they check into hotels, they prefer certain hotels because of conveniences, amenities. What, what did you specify for Canyon Ranch here? What did you well, feel important? They, I mean, obviously the quality of the beds was very important. Um, and I mm. would say not unusual, typical for hotels, you know, having a comfortable place to sleep. Um, since this particular property was likely not to have somebody sitting in their room working, they're not supposed to be doing that. I shouldn't say that they're not allowed to, but they're not supposed to be. They're there to, for wellness and self-awareness and, you know, participating. So the rooms are a little different from what maybe you'd see in an urban hotel. There's a lovely um, seating area in the corner of the space where the windows are in a corner where you could sit and read a relax and put your feet up. You know, we expected people to kind of lay on the couch and sort of stretch out. Um, there are television sets in the room, but you know, whether anybody actually watches them or not, I couldn't tell you. I'm sure there are some people that are TV addicts. Um, the, bathrooms are, the bathrooms are, are you know, large-ish and they're luxurious, but they're not, you know, like, they're not like an urban hotel. They're not the Ritz. So the whole place is, I would say, pretty, you know, it's, it's elegant, informal, if there's such a word. <laughs> or elegant. It's not camping exactly, because it's not that rustic. But well, it sounds like very elegant camping. Yeah. And with, with a lot of creature comforts. Right. And exactly. probably excellent, extraordinary food. Yes, the food is wonderful. They have, you know, they have a, I met the chef and she actually gives classes, people how to cook healthy. They have like a demo kitchen area that we put in. Um, and so the dining area, it's almost like being in someone's home. The dining room is very much, it's very residential in terms of the way it's set up and the way it's used. So, um, you're, th this is a very unique um, project and, um, you know, it, it's probably very different than doing um, a standard hotel. So yes. um, tell us a little bit about um, a typical hospitality project that you do. How does it differ from this one? How, is your approach to designing it different? Well, I would say, you know, and with, with all due respect, I would say each hotel project has its own set of unique requirements that I don't mean to, I mean, it probably sounds kind of cliche, but it's true. Um, definitely, you know, when I began designing hotels, the interesting thing was like, say, take a Marriott hotel, for example. Marriott's idea at the time was whatever Marriott you stay in, you will always know always, you're in a right. So they were all exactly the same, whether they were in Phoenix, Chicago, uh, you know, downtown Des Moines, they were gonna be exactly the same. And you'd really literally have to open the drapes and look out the window and right. try to figure You know, I, I've always found that so odd. I remember um, um, years ago, Ritz Carlton opened a location in Rancho Mirage. 
And at the time, Ritz-Carlton had a very, very signature look, you know, dark woods, you know, luxurious velvets, heavy fabrics, Russian chandeliers. And um, I stayed at the hotel when it first opened and I walked in and I was kind of shocked. It had nothing to do with the desert. Right. And it was so dark that when you walked outside, it took about three hours for your eyes to adjust. Right. And I thought, you know, it's really lovely, but it's completely inappropriate for this environment and yeah. location. And then over the years, they've redone it and their approach is different. Right. But, um, you know, today we see whether you go to Hawaii or, you know, Rio or London, um, places are designed. It's very important um, to design them for that market and for that environment. That's right. And, you know, um, I do primarily residential work and people say, well, what is your look? Well, you design for, you know, that particular market, like you said. Now, I want to ask you a question because because of COVID, we have a lot of restrictions today. And also there's a, there's a shortage of materials in not just in our industry, in all industries. And we're, we're designing around, um, where we're designing projects with things that we can get, not always what we want. That must have, that must have had a tremendous impact on you too. Well, that, I mean, I would say, Mark, the one thing that is a little different, um, aside from the fact of definitely sense of place, which we just talked about, the whole issue of availability of product and supplies, mm -hmm in the hotel industry, because I'm like, when you're doing a house, you maybe need one or two of some things. When you're doing a hotel, you need 400 of some things or right. 500. So that decision-making process is a little different than it is for a residence. Um, we have to kind of fight the supply chain problems because like, for example, we're working on a project right now, it's a, a large renovation and um, we just have to stretch the time it's gonna take to do the job out because there aren't, you, you can't go down to the local sofa store and buy 400 sofas, you just can't. No. Um, so that the logistics of, of execution are, are quite different than they are for a residence. Right. So what um what have you seen say in the a trend in hospitality design how it's changed in the last 20 years well i would i would first say that one thing that we just talked about a minute ago the idea of saying i'm always in the marriott hotel is completely different now all the brands are very much interested in making sure that when Mark Weaver wakes up in his hotel room in Kansas City, he has a clue where he is um, before he opens the drapes. <laughs> <laughs> they still want you to know you're in a Hilton or a Hyatt or a Marriott or whatever, but they right. also know you're in Kansas City. So there's that, which started happening probably about 20 years ago. Right. Thing is, I think the COVID uh, situation, which we're all sort of painfully aware of, really drastically affect affected the hotel industry. Um, I read the you know hotel news pretty much every day, three or four or five times a day, and when the when the pandemic first struck, 
first of all, nobody was going anywhere. And so the hotel industry was on its knees. Um, right. Then people started coming out of their foxhole, so to speak, and they wanted to go someplace that they could drive to because everybody was afraid of airplanes and trains and whatever. Um, so the next thing that happened is people just wanted to get away. They wanted an escape. So they went to their drive to location, Palm Springs, Napa Valley, the Catskills, whatever, wherever they were, they'd find someplace mm -hmm. that they could drive to. So the resort hotels started coming back first. The business hotels and the urban hotels, even to this day, are still suffering. Um, the things that they've done initially was to make sure that if you went to a hotel design-wise, you felt really safe, that it was clean as a whistle, that everything was sanitized. Um, we were dealing with fabrics. I mean, people were literally thinking about throwing bleach on fabrics and doing all mm. kinds of things. Um, a lot, I, I'm sure everybody's seen, they've put up these plexiglass barriers in front of all the front desks, which sure. makes you, or, you know, going to rob a bank when you check. There's all of that sanitized stuff. And then there were yeah. the footprints on the floor that spaced everybody out. You couldn't get in the elevator with anybody else. That's mm -hmm. kind of starting to, to dwindle away a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, the bigger picture, though, is that, and I use this word, and hopefully I'll explain what it means, biophilia or biophilic design. Yes very much a buzzword, particularly in the hotel industry. And what that means is incorporating nature to the greatest extent possible into spaces. So I think you're going to see a lot more potted plants in hotels than you used to for a long time. I think that's going to change. I also think that contemporary design um, is more kind of universal in the hotel industry where you mentioned like the Ritz Carlton, they used to have right. that dark woody thing. Right. That's kind of going away more mm -hmm. than temporary for a couple of reasons. One is I think, you know, the audience is younger and they have different tastes, Taste, but yes. I think it's a partially a result of this cleanliness thing. It, you know, Contemporary furniture with its clean lines looks cleaner than old traditional furniture that's got a lot of carving in it because you have germs lurking in it and all kinds of crevices. And, and it's probably easier to maintain. Yes, to some extent that's true. Yeah. The good news is about antique pieces is, you know, they start out looking kind of banged up and so... They... <laughs> right. So anyway, there's pros and cons of everything, but right now, you don't see a whole lot of new hotels being done that are ultra traditional. It's just not being done. Oh, that's, that's, that's good to know. So tell us about um, where you're working currently, because you have projects you've done overseas and all over the country. Right. Uh, well, right at the moment, we're kind of working in a, a bunch of different places. We're doing an interesting hotel up in, um, uh, uh, Southern Washington in the wine district of Southern Washington. I guess since mm -hmm. I've moved to Napa, I've become kind of a wine person more than I used to be. Not a wino, but a wine person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so 
um, we seem to be getting a fair amount of work in wine area. So anyway, there's that project in Washington. There's a major renovation that we're doing right now uh, to a project that we actually did 10 years ago and it's time. The good news is, as opposed to residential work, Mark, hotels are on a schedule of redoing. So mm -hmm. hotel we redid once before, we're redoing again. So the very yeah. short uh, yeah. in Arizona and then several other projects in Arizona. We're finally opening a hotel that we've worked on for seven years in San Francisco. It's wow. an urban. It's finally opening, I think, in a month or two. Um, we're doing a. And what took so long with this project, Jill? That's a very long, complicated question. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a combination of a number of things. Uh, it's on city land, so there are a lot of permitting issues. It's uh, an interesting owner that is very, very involved in the design and changes his mind a lot and doesn't seem to have any sense of urgency. I've never really done a project for anybody who really just didn't care about the schedule at all or even the cost. It was an interesting dynamic. Um, and so we've just gone on and on and on while he thinks about things and changes his mind. And it's, it's very much a, an interesting experience. Um, and then we're doing another project in Florida. So we're kind of all over the place at the moment. Well, that's exciting. So I'm curious, and I always um, have people uh, ask me when I'm talking to designers, they said, let's find out about their home. I'm curious to see how a designer, um, what they collect for their own home and how they go about designing for themselves. So tell us a little bit about your home. In well, Napa. my home, um, it's a funny story. The house, um, I, I happen to be personally, I love the color purple. Um, mm -hmm. And when my husband and I decided to look for a place outside of Los Angeles, we came up to the Napa Valley after thinking about moving to a bunch of other places too. We considered Vancouver, BC. We considered Santa Fe. We decided Napa, you know, the best for us based on the lifestyle and a bunch of other things. So we were driving around with the real estate broker and he said, oh, you know, and we had decided that we were gonna buy a house that we saw that wasn't very far from the one that I currently live. And we were on our way to the office to buy it or write the offer. And he said, you know, I just thought of this other house that's been for sale and the people have been trying to sell it and they're really anxious to get rid of it. And you might be able to make a good deal on it which was pretty brave of a real estate broker who already had a deal. Um, he said, but I just want to warn you, it's purple. And I said, Henry, I love purple. It's my favorite color. So he said, I'm going to drive you up to the where this house is. Take a look from the outside. If you like it, I'll, I'll arrange for you to go in and see it. So we did and we saw it and we bought it within about 10 minutes. Um, wow. The house is on a hill overlooking vineyards. Um, it's a decent sized piece of property, about 20 acres, very, um, very pretty. The house is contemporary-ish. Uh, I wouldn't say it's super contemporary. It's not like, you know, post, it's not like steel and glass, but it's plaster and um, beams, very high ceilings. We have 16 foot ceilings here. 
And since it's been on a, built on a hill, it's multiple levels. Um, I'm an art collector. And one of the things that appealed to me about this house is it has a lot of wall space. So it's laden with art. My art is, I started collecting in the 70s. Um, and the most of the like New York schools, Los Angeles school, my collection's contemporary. Mm -hmm. um, very hard to move. We've had a couple of fires nearby, pretty scary. And, you know, the work is so big that we can't take it out in a minute right. and a half. Mm -hmm. It's there. Um, and the furnishings are very eclectic. Uh, we've got some very contemporary furniture and some antiques. I like the mixture. Right. We both cook. So I have a very large kitchen, which I'm sitting in the corner of right now by one of the dining areas. We have multiple dining areas because we do a lot of entertaining. And that's kind of a, and oh, no curtains. <laughs> no curtains. Because <laughs> you're overlooking vineyards and... No, I'm, well, it's, it sounds wonderful. Yeah, it's very nice. Come visit. <laughs> so when you're, um, you're obviously very busy, you're so successful. What do you do in your downtime? What do you do for relaxation? Look. Somebody said to me, isn't it, isn't it a drag? We can't travel right now. Well, travel's beginning to open up. Um, but when you're not traveling, what, what do you do in downtime? Well, what are your passions? My husband and I both really love entertaining. We do a lot of cooking. Um, we do a lot of entertaining. And even through the pandemic, other than like the darkest, blackest days of the pandemic, when nobody was willing to see anybody, right. we continue to entertain when the weather permits. And the, you know, the weather here is quite nice. We did a lot of outdoor cleaning when everybody was really uncomfortable about being indoors. Um, but now people are comfortable being indoors. And so we we continue to do a lot of entertaining. We're having people over this Sunday for brunch and then the following Saturday for dinner. We're always entertaining people. We really love doing that. Um, that's, that's our main passion. We do like to travel. We just got back. We visited two friends in Hill Country in Texas, two different mm -hmm. ranches, which was really fun. Um, and we flew there and, you know, we felt comfortable flying. I don't think there was any mm -hmm. issue. So we're, we're traveling a little bit. We ha we've always um, gone to Europe pretty much every year um, since the pandemic. We haven't been, and we're looking forward to maybe doing that this fall for the first time, I hope. Where do you think you'll be going? Well, I lived in Italy, so we always like to go to Italy for a little while just because I can practice my Italian, and, and it will go in truffle season because we are foodies. Um, and we have a number of friends in France. So we'll go probably to Italy and France. That's my guess. I don't know. We haven't really booked the trip yet. We're just talking about it. Yeah, everybody I know is talking about what's going to be the first trip. But everybody right. I talk to seems to say the same thing. Everybody wants to go to Italy. Right, right. Yeah, I, that's a little worrisome because I'm thinking, oh my God, there's going to be herds of people there all at the same time. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it won't be a great vacation. You'll run into everybody you know. Right. So actually next, I think in two weeks, I'm going to the Hospitality Design Summit, which this year is in Florida. They, they vary back and forth between the East Coast and the West Coast. This year, it's going to be in Florida. So I think I'm going to go week after next. That's just for a couple well, of days. 
I'm working in Florida and I, um, I found flying there relatively safe. I'm comfortable with doing that now. So yeah, um, yeah, it's I, great. Yep. So anyway, anyway, it's Jill. Great. Yeah, sorry. Thank you for, for joining us today. It's, it's my, great talking to you, learning really, a little bit about you and your projects. Yes. And it, I, I'm envious you're in Napa Valley. It's one of my favorite places. And you know, um, to the people that are watching, we were hoping to um, get some images, especially of Jill's project, um, the Canyon Ranch. And the Instagram platform is not quite there yet on allowing us to bring up images. So yeah, it, it, um, are any of these images, Jill, on your website? They are. And our website, for anybody who's interested in looking, it's www.com cmcadesign.com. All right. So I encourage you to go look at Jill's website because it's, it's quite beautiful. Anyway, Jill, have a wonderful weekend. And thank you again for joining us. Bye, everybody. Bye, Mark. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you, Jill. So, um, we're going to announce shortly our next guest, which will be in two weeks. And you can see this broadcast if you miss part of it or any of our previous broadcasts. Um, we've had 43 guests over the last three years, and they're all on Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, under Mark Weaver and Associates. So we hope you enjoy them, and we look forward to seeing you in two weeks. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to Designers at Home. Follow us on Instagram at Mark Weaver and Associates to listen to live or subscribe to this podcast. If you found this podcast valuable and insightful, share it with your friends, comment, and subscribe. We are also on YouTube at Mark Weaver and Associates. Thank you.